Hi, I'm Gordon. And I'm Fiona. We're from Gate Church International in Dundee, Scotland, and we'd like to welcome you to this week's podcast. Our goal here is growing people to bring Christ into our communities and to see you get connected with God as people and as purpose. We hope this message inspires you in your faith journey. Thank you. Uh, some of you may have seen it. It should be up on the screen, but it's... Oh, there we go. It was a post quoting something from a guy called Charles Spurgeon. And if half of you didn't know who Cliff Richard is, you definitely won't know who Charles Spurgeon was. He was a famous preacher. He was known as the Prince of Preachers. He worked in London in the 1800s in the Baptist Church. And the post said this, A true wife is her husband's better half. A lump of delight. I just love that phrase. Don't you? I was, I, was, I was thinking of inviting you to tell your wife, if you sat next to her, that she's a lump of delight. But then I thought, maybe better not. There might be a few black eyes in the, in the building if we did that. He goes on. It gets better. His flower of beauty, his guardian angel, and his heart's treasure. He had a way with words. Uh, last week, I was sat over here, and my wife was sat as far away as possible over there. Now, some of you might be thinking, who can blame her? We hadn't fallen out. Eleanor was on children's work, so needed to be over there. I was on hosting, so I needed to be over there. But it's a great advantage to being so far away from my wife. I could observe her worshipping. And who knows that a worshipping wife is a precious gift from God. Come on. So if you've got a worshipping wife... You should be enormously grateful to God. You should give thanks to God. You should honor and respect your wife. Even call her your lump of delight. <laughs> but maybe quietly. Anyway, have I gained a few brownie points? Yes. You all think I'm quite a reasonable fellow after all. Quite nice, really. I might need it. Because we're going to talk about money today. <laughs> Just to set you to ease a little bit, there's no further offerings, as far as I'm aware. The Holy Spirit might move, who knows? <laughs> but money's a, uh, money's a touchy subject. People can get very oh, sensitive about money. So, there's a distinct possibility some of us might get a wee bit upset today. I might upset you, I might even upset myself. <laughs> so, we'll just see how it goes. But let me just lay some ground, uh, a little bit of ground rules, first of all, before we start. Uh, Preaching, or preaching properly. This is just the introduction. The church as a whole is not very good with money. Some of the church is just known, why does the church always want more money from me? And in terms of its attitude towards it, there are two main extremes which are equally wrong. One is the so-called prosperity gospel. The so-called prosperity gospel is utter rubbish, it's totally unbiblical, and I utterly detest it. So if you interpret anything I say this morning as being part of a prosperity gospel in that sense, you're completely wrong. The other is, if it's not called the poverty gospel, but effectively that's what it is, which seems to view wealth as being bad, which it isn't, and seems to think that if you're going to be a really top-class Christian, you've got to be poor, and preferably miserable. That is equally unbiblical. You know what I love about the Bible? 
it's far more balanced than we are. You see, if you look at the heroes in the Bible, the people it commends, there are plenty of rich people who are commended, there are plenty of poor people who are commended. It's far more balanced than we are. And I'm going to be talking a bit about tithing. And there are, part, part, there are people, parts of the charismatic church, or people in the charismatic church, people in evangelical churches, who can get very legalistic about tithing. I take a very non-legalistic approach. So again, if you interpret anything I say as legalism, either I've not explained it very well, or you've misunderstood what I've said. So let's get, let's get into the guts of this. We're going to look at uh, Malachi for most of the time. But let's just start with a few words of Jesus from Matthew 6, 20 to 21, where he said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is a matter of the heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we do with our money is a key indicator of the condition of our hearts. And the key question, the key, or the, uh, the key question, the key lens for understanding what I'm talking about this morning is this. Are you living as a citizen of the kingdom of the world? Or are you living as a citizen of the kingdom of God? That's the way to look at everything I'm going to talk about this morning. So, let's go on to uh, Malachi 3, verse 8. Malachi is a great book. I love it. It's very short. Graham said you had to scroll down to the bottom of the gate webpage to get the link to Gordon's book. To get to Malachi, it's right at the end of the Old Testament. And, you know, people often uh, question God. People have complaints about God. Why does God do this? Why does God do that? Why does he allow this to happen? Why, 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 why? And complaining about him in all sorts of ways. In Malachi, God has a go at the people. He's got complaint after complaint after complaint against them. You can go and read the book. It's, uh, it's even shorter than Gordon's book. It won't take you half an hour. It'll take you about ten minutes. And it's free as well. So there you go. That's, you do that this afternoon. You've got time to read both of them. But there he says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Three weeks ago when I was preaching, I was talking about, that in Ephesians was talking about how uh, if, if you're a thief and you came into church, you should stop thieving. And obviously, being a robber is not a good thing to do. But if you are going to be a robber, let me give you some advice. Don't rob God. It's not going to end well. You know, it's like if you see some mobster or some gangster, and they decide to double-cross the Godfather. You know they're going to end up in a pillar of concrete. <laughs> Things could get much worse if you decide to rob God. And said, why do you rob me? And then people ask, but you ask, how are we robbing you? Is in tithes and offerings. So let's talk about tithing, the subject you really wanted to hear about today. In its simplest form, tithing is giving 10% of your income. 
Now, if you look at the law of Moses, it's a wee bit more complicated than that, but let's just keep it in simple terms. And we often ask, well, what's the relevance of tithing today? Is it still relevant? Or is it not relevant for what? And first of all, let's, be, let's have a wee bit of honesty. Most people who ask is tithing relevant today want an excuse to give less. Just so well, I can't see your faces. <laughs> You're bl- I'm blinded by that light, it's quite dark anyway, so. Well, is tithing relevant today? In a legalistic sense, no. And that's probably upset some people as well, but never mind. Everything I say today could upset someone, but who cares? In a legalistic sense, no. It's extremely useful. But first of all, let's just tithe. People will say, that's Old Testament, that's Old Testament, that's part of the law, it doesn't apply anymore. And what they're really wanting to do is to give less money, or not to be, have to give more money. Well, let me just tell you this. First of all, is giving a percentage or proportion of your income is New Testament. Paul talked about, talks about that in 2 Corinthians. Jesus twice spoke about the proportion to give. Once, there's uh, the story of uh, the widow's might. There were all these other people giving, coming, I think probably Pharisees, and they were making a big show of how much money they were giving. And then this uh, widow came along, she put in a small coin. And he said, the Pharisees are just giving out of their wealth. Now, there's nothing wrong with giving out of your wealth. Just don't boast about it. The widow has given all that she's got. And then the other occasions, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus said, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, sell all that you've got and give to the poor. So the two times Jesus spoke about the proportion, it was 100%. The Old Testament's got a lot going for it, hasn't it? <laughs> I think I'll stick with the Old Testament. It's easier. I say, we're not under law. Uh, we're not under law, so we're not under tithing in that legalistic sense. But it's an extremely useful principle. It's an extremely useful principle. First of all, the first uh, mention of it in the Bible is bef- 400 years before Moses and the law. It's for Abraham. He defeated a, a, several kings. He met the high priest Melchizedek, and he gave him a tithe or a tenth of what he'd won. So it doesn't just happen under the law. But it's extremely useful. It's, it's a good place to start. And it's useful in a practical sense. If you think about money, what motivates or uh, drives us with the, what we do with money? The various things. Probably the biggest one is fear and insecurity. Then there's greed. I know none of you are greedy. None of us are ever greedy, are we? It's probably a term you might have been a bit greedy occasionally. Guilt. Generosity. And how do we balance these things? Well, if you look at the Bible, there are three, three main purposes for money. The main purposes that God gives us stuff for. One is to give. Two is to provide for ourselves and our families. And the third is for our enjoyment 
And that's biblical. It's in 1 Timothy 6. And God gives us good things to enjoy. You are allowed to enjoy yourself. But how do we balance those things? And so, so sometimes guilt can come in. If you've, hopefully, as we've become Christians, the prevalence of greed in our life diminishes. Certainly should do. And then we're going to, how much should I give? If we give, if we know we're giving 10%, then at least, we know, at least we're going roughly in the right direction. We can't be that far away from what God wants. So it's very useful as a guideline. It's useful as a discipline. You know, God says God loves a cheerful giver. And most of the time when I'm giving, I'm cheerful. I regard it as a good use of money. Money well spent or well invested, whatever you want to look at it. But occasionally I don't. I get a bit mean and stingy sometimes. And as many of you in this room are Scottish. Some of you are even from Aberdeen. <laughs> For those of you not from Scotland, uh, Scotland has a reputation of being a bit mean and stingy. It's totally unfounded, but never mind. Aberdeen has a super reputation for being mean and stingy. And for Si and myself and any others who are from uh, Lancashire, Yorkshire folk are the worst. <laughs> but anyway, sometimes, some, occasionally, just occasionally, our attitude isn't what it, all it should be. Sometimes we might be motivated by fear. Sometimes we might be feeling a bit mean and stingy. It is good in those times still to give. To have a good habit of giving. If you follow football at all, so Fiona, you won't understand the next two minutes. Gordon will explain it to you later. If you follow football at all, you'll know that Liverpool are a zillion points ahead of everybody else. 25, to be precise. And what they're doing in this, uh, in this season, obviously they're sometimes they're playing really well, but sometimes not playing well at all. They were fairly rubbish against Norwich yesterday. They're still beating them. They're still beating them. They win even when they're, not, when they're playing badly. And that's what we need to be like as Christians. We need to be people who still manage to make progress, still manage to win God's matches when we're playing badly, when things are not going so perfectly in our lives. So if we have redeveloped tithing as a habit and build it into our lives, it is... It's a great strength for our life. Now, one question people often ask is, should you tithe gross or net? Before or after tax? Well, I'm not going to answer the question. What I'm going to do is tell you this. If we're asking that question, our hearts are seriously wrong. Our thinking is seriously wrong. Government's tax, you're treating it like a tax. Governments tax, God doesn't. What God is doing is involving us in his work, involving us in building the kingdom. You know, it is a, it's an enormous privilege. If someone famous, say Jürgen, let's stick with Liverpool, say Jürgen Klopp invited you to come along and help with the training session. He doesn't need any help from that as to the training session. He's obviously excellent at it. But if he invited you along to do that, certainly if he invited more along, you'd jump at the chance. It's what God involves us in his work. That is what tithing is about. It's not a tax on us. It's that we're beginning us involved in the work of the kingdom and the building of the kingdom. So if you're asking, is it 
explore after tax. Go and get your thinking sorted out. Go and get your heart sorted out. Let's go on to the next verse. You're under a curse, oh dear. Your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Let's just say we betray that word curse. You might interpret it as a spell. It's not a spell. Curse is God's judgment on man's sin. And that's used in man in the generic sense. So if you're a woman, it still applies. It said the nation's under judgment. Why? Because you're robbing me. Let's look at the converse of that. When we walk in line or live our lives in line with God's ways, things go an awful lot better. You see, what is God? Who is God? What's he like? One of the key things which Gordon was talking about earlier, he gives. He's a giving God. Jesus gave. See, we, and we, we were created in the image of God. We were saved to become Christ-like. And one of the features of that, if we're going to become Christ-like, we will become more and more generous. We will become giving like God is giving. And when we do that, we were created to give. We weren't created to be mean and stingy. We weren't created to just look after ourselves. We were created to be generous. So when we do that, we are living our lives in line with the way that God created us, and things will work out an awful lot better. And let's go to the next bit. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not be room enough, in, room enough to store it. At the first part there, it's kind of, we can draw a parallel with it with giving to the church. Why should we give to the church? The reason is this. The church is God's primary means of working in the world. He achieves his purposes in the world today through the church. It is the way he builds the kingdom of God. It's really, I find it funny, every time you read books but, and they mention the kingdom of God, they almost always say something the church is not synonymous or exactly equal with the kingdom of God. And I think, well, technically you might be right, but read this book. Read the New Testament. Everything, all the New Testament says that's God achieving his purposes through the church. And what do all the instructions in here apply to? The church. Us in the church. And uh, what are you living your lives for? What's the primary goal or motivator in your purpose of your life? Is it not to see the kingdom of God grow? It says in Isaiah that the increase of his government, there will be no end. Do you want to be part of that? Is that why you're living? That we can be part of God building his kingdom. Bringing people into his kingdom. Saving people into his kingdom, into his family. And you know, I have, I have a niggle about the way we sometimes do offerings. More people are going to get upset here. And we often stress it's a free will offering. Now, up to a point, yes. If you have visited the church, it's entirely, it's entirely up to you whether you give. If you've come here and you just 
wondering what's, uh, what's church all about, what's Christianity all about, or you're here just because someone dragged you along and you want to shut them up once and say, I've come, and then you start asking me. Whatever. Then it's a free will offering, no trouble at all. But if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you should, you should give to the church that you're a part of. And the only free will bit in there, uh, involved in that is whether we decide to obey or to disobey God. It is part of our discipleship of Jesus Christ that we give to the church that we are a part of. And then another question is, people ask or raise is, well, I'd like to give money to this charity or to that charity, I don't know, say Hope for Justice, Compassion for Christ, Scripture Union, Tear Fund, whatever it might be. So is it okay to give 5% to the church and 5% to these other causes? Again, I'm, I'm not going to answer that. I'm going to give you a suggestion. You give 10% to the church and 5% to these other causes. Now, some of you think I'm mad. Some of you think, that's 15%. <laughs> You're thinking, that's going to make me poorer. <laughs> Which kingdom are you living in? Let me read some verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 11, which won't come up on screen. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Which kingdom are you living in? It says that God... I say, I, I said right at the beginning, I detest prosperity teaching. Or at least some of the prosperity teaching that goes about. I do believe in prosperity. I believe in the prosperity of giving. I believe in the prosperity of setting the captives free. I believe in the prosperity of feeding the poor. I believe in the prosperity of healing the sick. And I believe in the prosperity of proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. We were created to give. We need to, we're in a different kingdom. We need to live as if we're in a different kingdom. We need to live as though we are citizens of the kingdom of God, not citizens of the kingdom of the world. And then it says, uh, test me in this. So what happens if you're currently way short of giving 10%, which will apply to a lot of you. That's not because I've been uh, hacked into your bank accounts and see what you do with your money. It's human nature. It's true in most churches. What should you do? Well, well, some people say you just go up immediately to 10%. And if you're able to, willing to, able to do that, then do so. Increase it little by little, a bit more each month. Set yourself a plan. I'm going to give a bit more this month, next month, next month, next month. Each month, giving a wee bit more, a wee bit more, a wee bit more. 
and see what happens. See what happens. God says, test me in this. He's inviting you to test him. And he says, I will pour, oh, will I not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for you to store it? We live in a different kingdom. It has a material effect, a real effect on the money, on the financial aspects of our lives. Let's go on to the next verse. It says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. We will, when we're doing things right, we will still plant. We will still work. We will still try to manage things properly. But the difference is, things will start working. You see, when we're living against God's ways, or not in accordance with God's ways, many more things go wrong. When we live according to God's ways, many more things go right. You see, uh, trusting in God for finance doesn't mean being stupid. Hey, do you want a tip to increase the wealth? Yes, you do. <laughs> Exercise a bit more common sense in the way you handle money than you are doing at present. Have a budget. Look at what you're spending. Just look at things. And you might be able to find that you can actually do things an awful lot better. But when we live in line with God's word, things work. Now let's just go on to the, on to the last verse now. Then, then, look at this. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now consider this first of all. I told you right at the beginning that in this book, God has a real goal at Israel. And you will think, they're going to be delightful land, that lot. There's no way that's going to be true. The past year or so, I've been working through the book of Isaiah. It's a big book, it takes a long time. It takes longer than Gordon's book to work through. It is actually slightly better. <laughs> but you're not offended by that. <laughs> Still free. And God, there's a lot of judgment on the nation in there. But there's a lot, an enormous amount of salvation as well. Let me read from a couple of verses from the beginning, or three verses from the beginning of chapter 60. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over the peoples. Is that not true of the world today? says, the glory of the Lord rises upon you. And it says, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. That's what God intends for the church. It's what he intends for you and me. It's what he saved us for, that we should be living examples of the kingdom of God to this world. That they can see how different things can be. That's why God saved us. 
and uh, later on in 62, I'll just read, uh, right, uh, verse 10, it says, pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones and raise a banner for the nations. Sai was talking about this last week. And I'll talk about it again today. We are to raise up a banner for the nations to call all people into the kingdom of God. Moving our Sunday morning services to here was a small part of that. They're to make it easier for people to get here, easier for people to find us, easier for people to come here. But it's not the whole, it's just a small part of it. But it's what God wants us to do. And he wants us to be living our lives as citizens of his kingdom, demonstrating the life of Christ to this world, proclaiming the life of Christ to this world. So the question is this. Are you going to live in the world as a citizen of the kingdom of the world? Or are you going to live in the world as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Let's stand and pray.